Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Um, I wanted to do something a little different with Suave Sessions. Um, I did a partnership with Cyber Cafe, um, which is a company here in Atlanta that works in the mental health industry. I wanted to talk more about mental health because I think it's very important for us as black men to have these conversations and start opening up these doors and open up the conversation for mental health because there's a lot that we deal with quietly but I wanted to let people know that you're not alone in certain situations you're not alone in your mental health journey we are definitely here we're definitely dealing with some of the same things so I wanted to start interviewing people and have those conversations and really get into how we deal with our mental health as black men so we decided to do this partnership we've had some great interviews I'm going to share them all with you and I hope you all enjoy them definitely give us their feedback give us some comments let's have these conversations um, let's break this stigma of black men not dealing with their mental well-being uh, mental health is your wealth so we want you to make sure that you are definitely wealthy in the mind space all right so kick back relax as always welcome back to suave sessions but now suave sessions is going to present to you what's the brew Thank you to my partners over at Cyber Cafe. This has been an amazing journey. I hope you all enjoy it. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of What's the Brew? Here at the Cyber Cafe. I am Rashad, as you already know, but I'm joined today with Dr. Debbie Stevens of Restoring Hope Recovery Group here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Dr. Stevens, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. Good, good. So we're going to have a conversation about racial trauma, mm-hmm. um, but we're going to dig into some other things as well. But okay. just to get started so everybody understands more about who you are, how did you get involved in psychology? Okay, so I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So okay. it just means that I'm an advanced practice nurse. So I went to nursing school at East Carolina University. I'm originally from North Carolina. Okay. And then I went on to graduate school and got my master's and then later my PhD. So my passion for mental health practice really started in nursing school. My very first day of my uh, psychiatric clinical nursing rotation in my junior year. Okay. So I knew from that experience that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Nice. I actually, I wanted to be a psychologist until I watched Silence of the Lambs. And okay. I was like, yeah, no. Not for you. No, not yeah. a chance. <laughs> it was like, I, I was good in that moment. Um, so when you, when you decide this is what you want to do with your, with your life, how do you specify that and break it into a specific area for your career? Yeah, the thing about nursing is that you are exposed to a lot of different specialties. And then once you make a decision, it's quite easy to kind of um, assimilate into that particular um, subspecialty of practice. And uh, so a lot of the nursing students that I was um, in, in school with, they love starting IVs and giving out medication and doing all these wonderful like intervention type things. Um, And they, all talked about their hesitancy and reluctance to work with psychiatric patients. And I was just intrigued. I was like, well, let's just see what's going to happen. And my first day, I went in and I worked with a um, 
I think she was like in her mid forties. I just remember her name was Mary and she had a, a lifelong history of trauma starting from age three or four. And they said she wow. was mute and combative and all the things and no one wanted her. And so I just went in and I remember just really ministering to her, like giving her a bath and like singing to her and just really connecting on a, like even a nonverbal level. Mm -hmm. And I just knew from that exchange that this was just such a rewarding experience for me. And so when I finished school, I relocated to Atlanta to go to Emory University because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Found a great program and kept committing to that profession and then um, started, started practicing right afterwards. That's amazing. I mean, in your field, it's a, it's a very selfless job. So you have to take on a lot of weight as well. How do you balance yourself out to make sure that you stay mentally sound to be able to help your patients? Yeah, I get that question a lot. In fact, a lot of people are like, I don't know how you do it. Like, <laughs> how do you do it? You know, and I'm like, I, I really don't have a, a deep explanation for it because I feel like just like some people are called to a certain um, profession, like or a certain gift or a certain job. Like, I really feel like it's it's part of my gifting and calling because I feel like I have a capacity for. So when people are talking to me and sharing their burdens and sharing their traumas, I generally don't feel like burdened or I don't leave feeling exhausted. Mm -hmm. At times I get tired, but um, so I just have to be really in tune and self-aware of, you know, when I am reaching that capacity. We all have a capacity. Yeah. And so Minus three people, three people, three a day. In life, <laughs> like, I, I can give advice to three people. I'm done oh, after that. Yeah. It's just, so, it's a lot. That's a lot of energy coming at so you. So maybe psychology may not be your thing. No, it's not. It's, <laughs> I like to be able to like, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> no, me I don't more. want more. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get a great sense of satisfaction knowing that I can partner with people who are in crisis or at their wits end or feeling quite hopeless. And so that's part of the reason why I named the practice Restoring Hope because a lot of times that's what people need. So you're literally talking people who like off the cliff. Well, not, let's not say literally. Like No, they may not be on a cliff on a building, but yes, I am literally sometimes like, do I need to call 911? Do I need, what do I need to do for you right now? To, and then so I jokingly, when I'm getting interrupted by family or friends, because sometimes I'm working from home, I'm like, I'm over here saving lives. So yeah, <laughs> so it, it, it's a joke, but it's not. Because sometimes yeah, people are really looking for a lifeline. Yeah. Um, I think that community-wise, we've dealt with a lot in the last couple of years, yeah. um, trauma-wise, and everyone is now really starting to appreciate mm -hmm. therapy and yeah. going, actively going after it. Yeah. Um, with that, at what point do you see that something is traumatic versus just having like a bad moment? Like, how do you, how do you differentiate between the two of those? Yeah, there's a lot of discussion around that um, topic of trauma, like what is deemed tra traumatic for an individual. It's like some theorists call it like little T versus big T, like little traumas versus big traumas. But trauma could be any type of exposure to um, an incident or an event that causes significant psychological distress. Okay. So anything, so something that may be deemed traumatic to you or may not be traumatic for me, maybe right. traumatic for the next person because it all depends. It's a very individualized experience. It really depends on how that person responds to that experience and then how the impact of that experience on that person's life. 
And is it is it possible to be in a traumatic situation and not realize you're in a traumatic situation and not realize what that effect is on you? It's very possible. In fact, it's more likely that people are experiencing trauma or have experienced trauma and they haven't even conceptualized it as such. Because a lot of times when you're thinking about trauma, you're thinking of combat veterans, people who are in war, people who get sexually assaulted or raped or kidnapped or experienced like, um, uh, you know, gunpoint, getting robbed at gunpoint. People think of trauma like that. They may not think of, um, you know, your parents neglecting you and abandoning you or or not expressing love and affection towards you and how that has shaped your way of thinking and how you see yourself in the world. But yeah. that could be seen as trauma. Yeah, and it was weird. I thought I was thinking about it because I was watching a, um, a documentary this past weekend mm-hmm. and it was talking about um, basically like the Black Lives Matter summer Mm. And it started with, like, the George Floyd killing. And it brought up so many emotions that I thought I dealt with. Mm. But it's like you just really didn't know, like, how much that affected you. So it's like you just felt all that all over again. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, I think that um, that that summer was a huge wake-up call. When we think back to even... I would say back to like Trayvon Martin, like that yeah. was one of the more pivotal, you know, highly publicized cases, yeah. you know, of um, of racism and 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 trauma. So we as African American people um, experience that collectively, yeah. and so that's a, you know, when you see police brutality and someone murdered and is captured on camera, and then it goes viral across social media. Mm-hmm. You know, just even going back to the 90s, I don't know how old you are, but even going back to like Rodney King. And that was why that case was so important to our culture, because Mm -hmm. it's something that was part of our everyday experience. And so, like you said, we've gone through a lot over the last couple of years. But the reality is that you're talking about centuries, centuries of, you know, oppression and centuries of um, that, you know, think about the legacy of slavery and discrimination and racism that persists mm-hmm. even to this day. And so now we're just more aware of it. And I, that's why I'm so thankful for this conversation and for people to become more aware of services available to help them heal. Yeah. And it's, I think that's the, the question when it comes to like generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a, a story that I heard about like a monkey that was during the testing and they were the monkey, they put bananas at the top of a tree. Mm-hmm. And then there was monkeys at the bottom. And they sprayed the one monkey when they went to climb to get the banana. Mm-hmm. And they kept doing that over and over again. So the monkeys would start snatching people off of the tree. Yeah. To a point where they would swap out the monkeys. And at a, yeah. at a certain point, the monkeys were snatching other monkeys off of the tree, not understanding yeah. why. It yeah. was just, we know something's wrong about you going up here. Yeah. So they stopped spraying them with the water, but continued snatching them. So that generational trauma long story short. Mm. Um, generational trauma, is is there things that we're told that bring us trauma that we haven't experienced and probably wouldn't experience from the generation before us? Yeah, I mean, if you think about, like we've all seen like 12 Years a Slave and we've seen these homicide, like these classic movies and media to, that try to depict the atrocities that we as People have experienced black people, African descent people have experienced from slavery. And then throughout the years, you know, when we were talking about oppression and the trauma that 
has been passed down from generation to generation. So it's not just, you know, being called certain names or mistreated in public, but it, when you think about the, there's so many subtle ways that we have digested certain narratives and messages. Um, and then we've also perpetuated those same messages down to the next generation. For example, if you think about the levels of of racism, you have structural racism, right? We have mm. where residential segregation. So, you know, we have redlining where you can't live in certain neighborhoods and the property values go down, you can't get certain loans. Right. And so that restricts wealth and, and opportunity. So that's one level, right? But then you also have like interpersonal discrimination, right? So where, you know, you're experiencing unfair treatment based on the color of your skin. But then mm. then you also have, this really goes back to like um, Kamar Jones's work on the levels of uh, systemic racism and racism. And she talks about intrapersonal racism too, so that you can start almost as a form of hatred too. You can have certain negative feelings about yourself as a as a person of color in this country yeah. because of what's been told to you and then reinforced in the culture. So that's a way too that is kind of keeps passing down but and then we don't always have the words and the knowledge, you know, to to know how to explain yeah. what we're feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's kind of it's kind of wild when you think about the racism that is taken on by black towards black people yeah. and emit it back out to each other. And we don't really know how to, one, address it, or even after addressing it, how to ratify it. Yeah, So exactly. Like, for example, when, when I talk to certain people and they, they're like, well, I just, for example, certain black men. So they may have like, you know, well, I just like what I like. You know, I like women <laughs> who look like this and in a fair skin. And so, and it's just really another form of, you know, um, racism that's been internalized so that we have certain standards of beauty pushed on us to tell us that these people who look more like this and have these type of features are more beautiful. So personally, like I have three children mm -hmm. and my oldest is more fair skin, more slim. And then my, my youngest daughter, she's chocolate, she's beautiful, she's curvy, but she's always been compared to her older sister yeah. growing up and yeah. having to fight against you know, these ideals and, and messages that she's not as beautiful because of that. And so, wow. you know, we, we, we are responsible for that too. You know, like we have to educate and do our best to promote, um, uh, you know, validation and affirmation in our, in our young, young girls and women. Is that, is that challenging for you as a parent to not just experience that with your daughter, but to try to talk her away from that emotion? to not compare herself to our sister? Yeah, it's extremely challenging because you feel powerless, you know, and that's how a lot of people feel, um, a lot of African-Americans feel in this country. Like we we have no power, we have, you know, we, and that's why a lot of times people do feel hopeless. So, you know, yeah. incident after incident, you know, that's captured on camera, but then there's no accountability, you know what I mean? And so it's just like, you're constantly fighting. You think about um, the young girl who played Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Think about the backlash yeah. you got. It's like, this is a cartoon we're talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just like this um, resistance to e equity, to us being seen as full humans and the beautiful people that we are. So yeah. it's a constant fight. Which brings to the next point. When it comes to having a therapist, we were talking about the importance of having yeah. a therapist that looks like you. 
Yeah. Um, and I was explaining that when I first went to therapy, I opted out for a, well, it wasn't even intentional. I went to get a black therapist, but yeah. my therapist ended up being a middle-aged white woman. Okay. And I felt comfortable with her being there because it made me have to explain how I felt instead of someone telling me, I understand. So I had to like huh. explain what that whole Black Lives Matter summer felt like for me, which helped me put words to it, where I feel like if I had a black therapist, it'd be like, we get each other. I don't have to go there. Is that necessarily something that happens or is that just my... Th that's your very unique situation because <laughs> most people are looking for and I appreciate that type of thinking, you know, that you're like, OK, maybe if I get someone who's not like me, they're able to unearth certain things or help me reach certain insights and understandings that a person of color wouldn't. Is that what you were getting at? Not really. It was it was more of me having to verbalize my feelings instead of just kind of being on the same accord from jump. And you felt so, like if you were on the same accord from jump, what I would probably, happen? I probably wouldn't have verbalized how I felt. It just would have been a understanding, like a we see each other kind of understanding. Okay. So so you made that decision. Okay, I'm going to try not to work because, you know, I, no, come on, I have work. to invoice you. Okay, so so basically... The studio got it. Yeah, the studio got it. Okay. <laughs> um, so it sounds like you made a decision based on an assumption. And your assumption mm -hmm. was that if you met with a person of color, they wouldn't be able to challenge you to verbalize your thoughts and feelings the same way a white person would. That's the assumption. It sounds like you went into that decision making. I don't know. Not maybe or maybe not, but it sounds like something similar along those lines, which is which I can appreciate because it sounds like you just want it to, you know, to get, you have certain goals and when you are approaching therapy and you made certain decisions that you felt like would help you get there. Majority of my experience has been majority of people of color are looking for a person of color because they don't want that extra headache of trying to explain their existence or to explain their, the reason why they're frustrated or, they may not even know the reason why they're frustrated mm. or why they're irritable or why they're anxious or why they can't sleep or why they, they're struggling to pull themselves up and go to work every day and feeling this sense of um, unease every day just by being a person of color. And they're coming into therapy so they don't have to like go through a bunch of time and effort to explain that. And that person can maybe help them understand the framework of chronic stress and living as a person of color, particularly, I mean, we're talking about, you know, black and in, in indigenous, uh, other people, you know, Asian people experience discrimination too. Mm -hmm. But our experience as, you know, African-Americans is very unique because of the history of, of slavery in this country. So a lot of times they find they have a sense of relief, like, oh my God, like I've, I've been looking for you for months. Like they will come to me like, oh, like you don't know how long it took me to find you. And, and I'm not saying every person of color is, you know, culturally competent and, and, and fully yeah. qualified and all that. There's some, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. slackers and people, whatever, in every profession. But, um, but it does, it does mean something when I can go in and, and the person say, I see you. It means something. And I, I, I get that. Like, I, I can understand yeah. the importance of that. And it's not just my anecdotal experience, like, oh, I'm all that. And, and I know my patients tell me that, how good I am. <laughs> but there's studies to show, like, when, you, when, <laughs> when people are in 
a comfortable situation. When they have care, quality health care delivered to them mm -hmm. from a person that they feel like sees them and understands them and, and looks like them and has a shared history and background, their health outcomes are better. Mm. So it's to your advantage if, as a person of color in this country to find someone that looks like you. How do you... Is there a network where you can do that? Like, is there somewhere where you can go yeah. and find black therapists yeah, there, specifically? Yeah, there's all kind of networks um, online. Like, there's therapy for black girls and and um, black men. So there's all kind of now you, um, newer networks and organizations popping up, particularly for this for this reason, because they're like you were saying earlier. There's an increased awareness, and people are. You know, it's all in pop culture, social media, like Charlemagne the God talking about it. So people are like, okay, maybe I'll, I mean, people will book me saying, yeah, I don't know, do I need therapy? I, everyone's talking about it, maybe I should. And I was like, well, let's see, you know. But I think everybody needs like a little bit of therapy. Yeah, it doesn't just, hurt. Just a little bit. It doesn't hurt. Because you might unearth something you didn't even know was there. You probably will unearth something so, that you didn't know it was there. It's like, so that's why I don't like turning the lights on. Oh. <laughs> like, you know, random stuff. Um. When do you, when do you suggest, like what age do you suggest someone would start therapy? Is it okay to start therapy as a child if there's nothing that is wrong to like kind of get them used to therapy or should you wait until like later in life? I wouldn't say that, okay, so I normally work with adults. Okay. So that question, maybe a child, adolescent psychiatrist or psychologist would answer that differently. Okay. I wouldn't say every single person should be exposed to therapy and you just kind of see. But definitely if you start noticing, you know, if your child has some, you know, problems at school or at home or adjusting or if there's any kind of major transition like a move or changing schools or especially if there's some sort of family transition you know mm -hmm. it's it's always um a good idea to talk with your child first but sometimes parents they don't have the skill know what to ask or how to even um, initiate that conversation yeah. but just um encouraging certain strategies and talking to your child about how normal it is to talk to someone is is a start and a lot of people don't realize that therapy is a part of their um, health plan with their insurance from work yeah there's been a lot of um, movement and political will to support um, equal access to mental health and for it to be equitable to physical health care yeah so a lot of times you can access an EAP plan you can start with that and a lot of plan a lot of workplaces offer six sessions or ten sessions for free mm -hmm. um, and insurance insurance lack of insurance can be a barrier but if you don't have insurance doesn't mean that you can't get good mental health care either mm -hmm. like I've had uh, years of experience working for um, uh, federally qualified healthcare centers or um, county hospitals. And so there are resources in your community if yeah. you are seeking treatment. You don't have to have like Aetna or Blue Cross to necessarily get the best care. Okay. So for people that are looking for a therapist, what's something that outside of making sure that the person, or not making sure, but opting for a person that may look like you, with something that they should yeah. look for as far as like qualifications, like do you need to look at schooling, where the person works at? Oh, like, that's, that yeah, that's great. I mean, most people try to do a little bit of that. They don't know exactly what to look for. Um, sometimes it depends on what you're actually dealing with. Mm -hmm. Like if you um, are dealing with 
sexual trauma, you may want to look for someone that specializes in that. If there are issues around gender or sexuality, you may want to find someone who's trained in that or eating disorder. So there's a lot of people that subspecialize in certain um, focus, you know, areas. And so I would say just try to figure out, you know, what you're looking for. Um, Psychology Today um, is a great start for people. It's a national network. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we we have bios there. You can read your bio. You can read the provider's bio and see where they went to school. Of course, you want someone with some experience, but people want different things. Some people may want someone older. Mm -hmm. Some people want someone younger, you know, so it all depends on, you know, just kind of taking some time to reflect on what you feel like you need Mm -hmm. and then not giving up after that first one, you know, because a lot of times it's like a one and done, like "Eh, therapy's not for me, but it's like, you're not going to, I heard on the radio last week, someone was saying, you know, if you go eat something and you don't like the meal, you're not going to, you know, boycott food. You're not going (laughs) to go on a food strike. You just go to another restaurant. So you just got to, sometimes it does take some time depending on your unique specifications or, you know, what you're wanting. My my first therapist was on BetterHelp. Okay. Uh Uh-uh. No? No. Okay. No, she needs a new career. I'll give you my website. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, you're not it. Really? Okay, what what about her that you were, like, turned off or, like, oh, this is not it? I think that she was trying to play it too cool Mm -hmm. for me. And it's like, we're not friends. I don't know you. Like, you're you're too chummy with me in this moment. Like. So her style just didn't match yours because some people like some, that. Some, some people, people some, like that. Some people want a homie. Like I or just, some people want a professional that feels like a friend or someone that they trust. I'm sorry. I'm bad about reframing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? No, like it's fair. not every person's for everyone. Right. I think she's probably, she probably is great for someone. Yeah. It sure. just, that was mm-mm. not for you. No. So so I think that you bring up a valid point. It's just knowing, taking time to know what's important to you. Yeah. And then sometimes I do consult calls where people ask questions and I give them an opportunity to kind of do to like a bit. To get a, a feel for you. Yeah, give a, yeah, get a feel. There are no commitments. Yeah, so that way you're not wasting that hour. I do not take it personally. I'm not for everybody. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm for a lot of people, though. A so, lot of people. <laughs> so, I mean, you booked and busy. I'm booked um, and busy. Thank which you. Which is why you're on your way into... This new venture, do you want to talk about that? Um, in terms of my practice? Yes. Or Okay, so, yeah, I started a private practice not too long ago. And I've been taking my time with it because I want to make sure that I am, you know, building a practice that's full of good care and quality care that I'm accessible to my clients. They have, they can reach my email, phone, they text me. So, I'm, you know, within... Appropriate timelines and boundaries, you know, boundaries, boundaries, exactly. Um, but so, yeah, I'm making my way towards doing that full time and um, and doing things like this, like sharing my my knowledge and expertise with the community and yeah. doing more promotions and stuff like that. Well, absolutely, it's much appreciated. So, yeah, thank you for talking about trauma with us. I didn't cry, so we. You did good. You were looking for tissues, but you didn't need them. I didn't need them. Yeah, you know, just kind of like sucked it back into my. Next time we can go yeah. deeper if you like. You know, just kind of ease it and <laughs> you there. <laughs> we can do that. That works for okay. me. Okay, but, but thanks for having. Oh, me. Thank you so much. It was very much appreciated. Yeah.
All right, y'all. Thank you for listening to that episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, a lot of great information comes through these interviews. And I'm really happy about them. Um, so make sure you guys rate us. Let us know what you think about the show. There's a box at the bottom of your podcast. Um, leave some comments. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our channel. That is very important. Um, we're trying to make sure we get this out to the masses. So the more subscriptions and ratings we get, the higher we get pushed up on the platform and the more people that can get exposed to what we're doing here. All right. So absolutely check out Suave Magazine. Make sure you go to YouTube, subscribe to our channel on there. Subscribe to Cyber Cafe on YouTube as well. Cyber Cafe is P-S-Y-B-E-R-C-A-F-E. Um, we definitely appreciate the support. I want to thank them for this partnership. This has been a blessing for me. It's been amazing to be able to have these conversations. It's been amazing to be able to, to do this on the platform that we're doing it at. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. So until next time, y'all stay easy, stay blessed, stay suave. I'll holler at y'all the next one. Peace.